Surprisingly, as I've been looking at uh, the book of Romans, we're getting into the last of the chapter, and boy, it's offering up a lot, and so much so that in fact, today I'm only going to be able to do two verses. There's just too much. As we progress from chapter 6 on to where we were, from into chapter 8 and verse 17, it was a lot of instruction on realizing the great gift that God has given us in killing and doing away with our, that old man that was a slave of sin. And that the life we do live now, we live because of the new man, Christ in us. And while we still retain a sin nature, we are no longer bound to just sin. We've been set free. And the lovely themes of sanctification that have developed throughout Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and now going into chapter 8. I, I hate to admit it, but for the first time, I think, when I was reading through for, to prepare for this week. And I've read through chapter 8 many times, just like many of you. And for the first time, I see probably one of the strangest transitions to end a theme, because when you get into chapter 9, you're kind of, Paul has moved from the, the sanctification discussion into Israel now. But he's not finishing chapter 8 because he's dealing with suffering now. I know that many times when a lot of us uh, like to look at Romans 8, specifically verses... Uh, 28 through 30, this is the great passages where we go to to discuss uh, predestination and election and we talk about it, but I've never seen these verses in light of suffering before. In fact, everything that's going to be mentioned from verse 17b down through uh, the end into verse 39 is going to be under the lens of suffering. And the reason Paul does it is to give hope to us because those to whom he was writing to in Rome under Nero were having great suffering. We had Sunday school today that is just, it seems like to me it's just getting better and bigger and <laughs> more, uh, more sobering. We were dealing with persecution in the first and second centuries Beginning with Nero, and of course it ends under Diocletian, and of course it and 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 of course uh, Constantine comes to uh, power after that, and and the church finally has a new kind of temptation it has to deal with. But suffering has been a major theme of the church from the from the very beginning, from Jews, and then finally to just Gentile and Roman uh, governments. But we don't understand that very well, suffering. So let us look today then under the title, The Sanctifying Work of Suffering. The Sanctifying Work of Suffering. I do not believe that you can actually have that depth and purity of complete and total sanctification without it. 
And there are all varying levels and degrees of suffering in the Christian life. Now I'm going to read the problem statement to you and I'm going to preface it with something else. Before I read this statement, which we've read every time we've had this emphasis, listen to this. I put my glasses. The hardest task before most of us is not to learn, but to unlearn. Many of God's own children have drunk so deeply of the sweetened poison of Satan that it is by no means easy to get it out of their systems. And while, and while it remains in them, it stupefies their understanding. A.W. Pink, the one whom we're studying on Wednesday night in the Attributes of God. We live in a very unusual time in church history. Everywhere in every culture of the globe, except for the American one, Christians have experienced major persecutions. In fact, that's largely why America was so eagerly uh, populated and sought out was to escape the persecutions from what was then known as just uh, uh, Britain in those areas against Christians. And they found a safe place here. And we've had a safe place. But it's just a tiny speck and an anomaly on the whole radar of the world where Christians have existed. We know nothing of suffering. To the degree that the church has suffered. Now. We've all had our share of financial difficulties. And health scares and crises. And the loss of loved ones. And the loss of jobs at the wrong time. And, and uh, family dramas that seem like they'll never be rectified. We've had bouts of depression and anxieties and all of those things. But we've not known the level of suffering that has been part and parcel of the Christian church since its birth there in Jerusalem. So, with that being said, the problem is a failure of 21st century Western Christians to understand and apply the doctrine of sanctification to personal holiness in their everyday lives. Why? Because they haven't really needed to. They don't hurt very bad. Nobody's coming after us. And as it was brought up in Sunday school today, nobody's coming after us. Why? The result is a weak and lethargic church with no power, no passion, and an ever-increasing conformity to the world around them. In fact, in fact, um, and I forget which one it was, but after the church had become protected under Constantine's rule, many of the early church fathers, even back then, were calling and saying that what the church needs is a new persecution. Because it doesn't seem to ever go well for our strength when we 
live in the greenhouse. In honor of God and His Word, let's stand as we read. I'm going to, now, we're only going to be paying to the first two verses today, but this is sort of the first big chunk we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 17b through verse 25. <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse 17. For emphasis sake, I'm just going to start where I want to. But if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, that's the first time in eight that suffering has been mentioned. There it comes out of nowhere. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I like how that ends. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and illuminate us and to fill us. To fill us with understanding. To convict our hearts where the, in, the, in the inner recesses of our souls we've hidden away sin or indifference or resentment or unforgiveness or anything that defiles that you would expose it through the preaching and, and, and ministry of your great love and your word. Father, we admit that we live in a place where it's been easy. It's been easy to be a Christian. So easy, in fact, that it's made us very frail. We know a lot. But we haven't had to really practice a lot. God, show us how to understand that this great gift and transformation that sanctification brings, Lord, is, is highlighted by suffering. God, prepare our souls for what you're wanting to do in our midst. And God, we pray it with a view and a hope that one day soon, maybe even today, you would so visit us in nearness. That there won't be a need to say anything further. But just to abide. As you minister to us individually and collectively as a body. Lord, please consider us today. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. I was listening to a message this week. I always try to prepare for my sermons by listening to a other preachers, uh, because nothing is done in a vacuum. 
And uh, Stephen Lawson was preaching through this uh, actual pas- these passages, and he said something in one of his sermons. And while I'm running, I have to keep a mental note and look down at my phone and try to say, okay, what, what time limit was that on that? And then try to go back and find it. It's pretty tough without the glasses, and so it, sometimes it takes longer than it should. But here's what he said that I think is profound. The Christian life is not a subtraction of suffering, but the addition of grace to go through suffering. You know, they've always said over the years, and I remember when I was a younger Christian, you know, now they'll say when you become a Christian, everything gets better. I got to admit, I've never heard that to me. I've never heard that said to me. And I can thank the church I went to for that probably. But I guess it probably has been a misnomer that if you become a Christian in an effort to try to gain a a convert, make a sale, if you'll just come to Jesus, you'll no longer have lumps in your mattress. If you come to Jesus, you'll no longer have bugs on your windshield. If you'll come to Jesus, your bank account will always be healthy. I know it's ridiculous. (laughs) And it's just not the case. I would like to say that I in no way am pining for some kind of major suffering and persecution to hit. Because after the stories we just read in Sunday school, I got no wish to fry. Okay? But I want to know Jesus more. I have a great hunger. I want us here at Northridge and quite honestly, every church in the entire world that loves Jesus. I want us to be able to say, put your history book down. We don't need to read about it. We know now what it's like for Jesus to be in the midst. And if it takes suffering, then God help us and bless us with it. Because this just can't continue. This is enough. It's enough. The way things are, the status quo, it's enough. I want to see the church of God come alive. And I don't mean with shows and bands and lights. But in cow pastures, Basements and warehouses, wherever they can get together out of the sun, if it, even if they have to stand out in it, to be okay, because God is in, in their midst so powerfully that just to be together as the family of God is to be next to heaven as close as possible on this side of it without being dead. To have your perspective renewed to the point that you don't want to ever see like you used to see again. Priorities change, attitudes change, perspectives change. Consider your sufferings then in view of Christ. Let's look here again at verse 17b and 18. And if children, so obviously I'm speaking to those of us who know Jesus Christ, because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're lost in your sin, you're separated from God, and I am pleading with you 
to listen to the gospel. Jesus died for your sin. Repent of your sin and your wickedness. Lay your pride aside. Cry out for His mercy and plead for Him to save your soul. Then rejoice. If children, then heirs. Heirs. We often joke. The Kelly family comes from Ireland. But over there it's kind of like the Smiths and the Joneses. From what I find. It's a large family. Maybe there's a section of the Kellys with just a Y. Okay, not an E-Y or an O in front. That we have a rich royal relative that left us a castle or something. But I don't know. But I know what I do have. I've got heaven in view. I have a homeland not of this world. I have heavenly shoals that I am looking forward to attend. And I have a Savior there that's waiting for me. But not only is He waiting there, He's present with me here, walking with me. I'm an heir. An heir of God. Notice this this language. And joint heir with Christ. Joint heir. Joint accounts. Join together. Does that mean what I think it does? It does. That's like getting everything at the end. Isn't it? With Christ. And notice what he says. But then you think, oh, it's all good. And then, if indeed we suffer with him. We suffer with... Jesus made no bones about it. In this world, you will suffer persecution. You will experience tribulation. Many are the difficulties of this life. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. I have no idea. No idea where the prosperity gospel has any kind of foundation. No idea where the word faith movement has any, any kind of hold. That's doctrines of demons. And you should always run the other way from it. Jesus himself suffered. And it says, I'm a joint heir with Christ if indeed we suffer with him. And then it goes on that we may be also glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and this is golden, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I have lots of thoughts here. You see, it's too big to go through all 20, for all these verses. I'm stuck. Someone once said, when it comes to suffering, you are either currently suffering, you have just come out of suffering, or you're about to go through suffering. But then to what degree is that? It's the degree to which God decrees. You will never go anywhere as a Christian where you don't have God's provision to go. And that includes through suffering. A lot of you all have good health. And I'm glad. I have really pretty reasonably good health. And when you have good health... You, you tend to get really used to it. You, uh, you, you tend to be impatient with those that don't have such good a health. 
You don't understand why they're always sick or, or at least very inconsistent with their life. You don't get it because you just don't understand it, you know. And then you get sick. And then suddenly, your perspective changes. You, you don't understand people. They're always whining about their back problems. Until you get back problems. And then suddenly, you just kind of go away. You don't say anything anymore. It's not that you make a big redaction or retract that comment. You just you do what the federal government does. You just, you just go forward as if nothing happened at all. Jesus guaranteed suffering. In John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Have you ever wanted Jesus so much? Have you ever wanted to see God move so much in His church that even if it takes suffering to the degree which we've only read about in history, if that's what it takes to praise Him and experience His best here on earth, if that's what it takes, have you ever said, Lord, then give me the grace and bring it? Have you ever said that? Have you ever prayed like that? Because I'll tell you this much. Ah, i got to be careful here. because We all... Part of us have this conflict in us. We discussed it in Sunday school. We have our inner patriot. And we have our new man. And they are like, <clears throat> like two brothers. Except one is better and the other one's just not caught on yet. <laughs> we all want there to be a red wave in November. But I want to vomit. When I think, but it's only because people just want stuff to get back to normal. And then you have the word normal. You mean status quo? So you can have more money, so you can go do more of the things you want to do, so that you can circumvent God, so that you can take it lightly, so that you can use your freedom for perversions, or for, for license, or for apathy, or for lethargy. No, I don't want it. I don't. It's got to stop. I want a revolution of God's Spirit moving across the land. And we know that begins with God's people. And if it takes suffering, then so be it. God help us, but so be it. There's some words here. That I want to talk about in the blue. We all know what the word in green is. Suffer, sufferings. We know what that is. We all have a definition of that. There's nothing in Greek that's fancy about it. It just means suffer. But. The word consider. And the word glory. Consider is a word we've already seen from Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. It was, it was reckoned back then. Okay. And it's logizomai. A really fun one to say. The term has to do with mathematics and accounting. And it describes what a bookkeeper would do when adding up a column of numbers. Calculating the sum and entering the sum into the correct account. And in a general sense, therefore reckoning is thinking that uses sound reasoning and logic to draw conclusion from known facts. So consider 
according to what Paul is writing here in verse 17 and 18, he says, I consider the sufferings. He's, it, he's doing a technical evaluation of this. And he's saying, these sufferings, now mind you, Paul was killed by Nero. The church in Rome under Nero, which was the most egotistical demoniac you ever heard of, sexually perverse to the nth degree, and, and, and doing things to Christians that were unthinkable and things I couldn't even say out loud here, okay? And Paul is saying, but these sufferings, as I consider them, tabulating, they're not even worthy to be compared with what will be revealed in us. They're not worthy to be compared They can't hold a light to it. It's a speck. Because one of the things that I... That I want so bad. And Brian knows what I'm talking about. Brian and I... Brian and I both got zapped in Georgia. We know... When you have a a glimpse of glory and you taste even a thimbleful of that kind of nearness, it just doesn't compare to whatever's here. I remember being home when that fire was raging. It's a good fire. And looking around going, I don't care about any of this. I don't want any of it. Everything here is so earthly. There's no, there are no shining beauty. It's also temporary. How can anyone be satisfied with it? And that's, that's what happens whenever God's people consumed with his nearness. And when Paul is considering this, these sufferings, he says, it ain't, you can't compare. You just can't compare. Then there's another word, it's called glory. You've heard of doxa? Doxology? It means to glory. Glory. But this is unusual in this sense in the New Testament. The word for the most part is, is in a sense, is used for which there is no Greek analogy whatever and of which there is only an isolated example in the philosopher Philo. That is to say, this word here, as it's used, doxa, it denotes divine and heavenly radiance. Now think about that. The word in itself, he's good. Okay. As he's mine. <laughs> Just have to say. But it denotes divine and heavenly radiance. Can you imagine? Paul saying the sufferings with which you suffer are not worthy to be compared. And he says to the glory, to the, to the divine and heavenly radiance of God. What happened to everybody that ever had a view into heaven? And you read in the Bible, what they do primarily? They fell. What was the second thing they did? 
They did. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's natural. Because you want to. You're, you're just, you're the creation. He's the creator. And when you're in the presence and nearness of God, all you want is more of Him. I don't even know how to explain that sweetness that comes from His presence. Kind of like this, though. So, uh, back a few years ago, Rennie and I, uh, well, kind of lost a lot of weight, did all that, so we barred sugar from our life, okay? And uh, I was off for a long time. We went to, I think, Cambodia at that time, and boy, was it hot and humid. It was like Oklahoma at the worst time, being down on the creek in the thicket. You're just a walking bug sticky trap yourself. And it was hot, and it was warm, and it was every day. And they had a, kind of like a, I think it was it a Starbucks next to that hotel. I don't remember if it was a Starbucks. But I saw people coming out of there at the end of the day after the hot journeys out sharing the gospel. And they'd come out with these frozen, uh, what are they, the Frappuccinos. Fraps. Frapp, right? Frapp. Yeah, with the, all the ice and dripping and ice like. I mean, I was, I was hot on the inside. Because I was hot everywhere. And I hadn't had, I was holding out and holding out and holding out. And I was just so hot. I just needed something. Well, I went and had one. First I've had of anything like that in a long time. And it just, well, I wanted more. (laughs) Okay. And I had another. And, uh, And that was so good and refreshing and cold and sweet and and it gave me energy and revolutionary you you forget things like that you know you do and so I think about that and that is a very stupid story to equate to what he's talking about here when we consider divine and heavenly radiance imagine your soul you've been so cut out with a taste for this life And how things go in this world. But then God gives you a view of glory. And you ain't never the same again. Because you're looking. You're searching for that again. Well when we finally make heaven all together. Why did it take so long? (laughs) You know. I don't know. I need reparations. But. God has his plan and. And whatever means and mode we get to glory in, did we glorify Christ in it? And now behold, the divine heavenly radiance. Notice the other part. The loftiness and majesty of God. It's beyond our understanding. He goes on to say it. As I've said already, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation itself eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Why does the creation itself? It says it groans. Because it was, it was subjected to the curse of the fall. And it's looking forward too to being let go. I sometimes think... That I can hear the animal kingdom going, you guys. <laughs> you know, things like rock chucks and mice and 
you know, all of that. No, but I just think, man, what did we do? So Paul was no stranger to suffering to, cl- to, to kind of conclude today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 31. Now, the next time you're on the TV or the radio and you hear some fancy, all his teeth are in his head and they shine like chiclets, telling you how the, the, the Christian life is all fun and games and God just wants to bless you. Read what Paul had to say. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one because one more might kill a man. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Can you imagine being stoned? I can't get over the lips getting hit with a rock. Just split. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now notice this part. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Do you know what that means? He was in, stuck in the, in the ocean for a day and a night floating on a piece of something. Wood. It wasn't styrofoam. Okay. He was just floating there. And of course, I would be thinking about all the Jaws movies I had seen. <laughs> as a kid of the 70s. Which ruined everything in the pool. But he said, I was there. And then he said, notice this, in journeys often, he always had to travel in perils of waters, so rivers, in perils of robbers, trying to attack him and steal his stuff, in perils, notice this, of my own countrymen. Who are they? Spies trying to get him and catch him in his words. In perils of the Gentiles, just being mean, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And you would leave this going, there's nothing but peril. For Paul, it was peril. Notice, and if peril isn't enough, what else did he say? In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. And I, stopped, I had to stop here and take a mental note. Okay, so he was hungry, not on purpose. And then he goes off and fasts on top of that, even after having not had food. I think because he was so committed to the heart of God, nothing ruled the man. He was captive to the Spirit of Christ. And then he said, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, What comes upon me daily. And here's his greatest burden of all. My deep concern for all the churches. I want to just say as a pastor. And if you've been. If you're here and you've ever been a pastor. Or maybe you had a father or whatever it was a pastor. There is a burden. I'm not saying that you go. Oh poor guy. No. I'm saying that there is a burden. There is. You wear it every day. You, you wake up with it. You go to bed with it. When you're on vacation, you take it with you. You love the people. You care the people. But you love God more. And you want God to do among the people what sometimes they're so stubborn they can't see or want. And you pray and you seek and you study. till You drive yourself in crazy. And you can't escape it. And sometimes you just want to go put your head through a building. And then God reminds you that His strength is sufficient. And that you didn't ask for it. It's his call on your life. Stop complaining. 
and then think about what they did in the desert when they complained, and then you repent all that stuff back that you feel. But there's a burden. Yeah, the guy suffered. In chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, just a chapter over, he writes, And he said to me, when Paul was given a thorn in the... So how about this? We just read what Paul went through, right? These are just things. And if that's not enough, and if the burden of the church isn't enough, the Lord Jesus Himself that called Him into this ministry shows Him a view of heaven that Paul said would just completely wreck your life here on earth. Because it would make you get so I guess boastful or something. I don't know what he saw. Glories, he said, were not proper for a human being to describe. And so, lest he be exalted above measure, the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh. It's like going through all we just read and losing a limb or something. Now you got a hobble. Paul was given something. People think it was a massive eye disease that constantly leaked and drained. Something that kept him on the... And, and it was so severe that Paul uh, said, I, he said, I prayed three times that it might depart from me. He didn't want it. And what does the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's attitude changed. Well, what did he say? Therefore, most gladly... I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Do you ever think like that? I just have to ask. Lord, thank you for this infirmity that your power might rest on me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm experiencing this, that I may demonstrate the presence of Christ to all those who don't know you. I don't do very good. And I'm tired of not doing very good. Therefore, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities. <laughs> I always talk a lot about Travis. It's just that he gives a lot of things notable. And he said in class today, one of the most fundamental things when it comes to things like we just read here, I take pleasure in infirmities. He said, and I quote, <laughs> there's a whole book there. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's all admit that there's only a certain amount of strength we're ever going to know when we get into suffering. I could go and read about the saints and how they went around and Goat skins hiding in caves and being hungry and the same. There is no misunderstanding that the Scripture bears out the fact that God's people are going to suffer. It's just so unusual for us to think about like that. To close, and this is the end. Consider your sufferings in view of glory. Doxa, the very radiance of God, right? The loftiness and majesty of God. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19. Beloved. Now Peter also was a victim of Nero. 
Peter observed the rank tortures that God's people experienced. And he said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. If indeed you suffer with Him, rejoice that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him doxa, glorify God in this matter. For the time has come. What? You think. Yep, it's true. For the time has come for judgment. To begin at the house of God. And, it, and if it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well now that is a very good question. Now. If the righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly. JT. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Where will they appear? Let me go back. If the righteous was, is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? I want to tell you where they're going to appear before the great white throne judgment at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You may get around knowing Jesus today. Sure, have it your way. However, I want to say, you will behold the glory of Almighty God in your judgment that will cast you into hell for all eternity and you will never come out in a million years of years you will never be any closer to ever getting out and your hatred with which you have had towards God Almighty will become to you like rust on a shovel and consume you and you will become hatred. And your perversions that you seem to want will become what you are. You will become that perversion. You will become, if you will, hell itself. That's where you will be. Therefore, in light of that, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Did you hear that part? It didn't escape you, did it? Your suffering, when it comes, is according to the will of God. Do you, have, do you have the spiritual maturity yet to surrender to it? Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Because I'll let you remember, it's nothing in comparison to what will be revealed in its glory. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Have you ever 
professed faith in Jesus, seen that you are a sinner in desperate need of salvation. God has come to you in His mercy and He's shown you who you are. Have you cried out and said, God, I am yours? Have you been born again? Because if you have not, you will not have any glory to attend except that of your own judgment. Christian, are you beat down, cast down, thrown down, and just kind of wondering? God has your life in His hand. Nothing befalls you except what He allows. When I run down the road, I often see a dead sparrow in the road. Because they're always in the road and they're getting hit. And you know what goes through my mind instantly? Not one sparrow falls to the ground. Without your heavenly father knowing it. And then Jesus said. If he so cares for the sparrows. And the the, the birds of the air. And all of that. How much more does he care for you? JT is going to play. If God is dealing with your soul. And you need to give your life to him. And you know that's what you got to do. I'm going to say amen. Praise God. Don't wrestle hard. Because you'll lose. Flee to the altar and lay it all down. Christian, if you've backed up, got bitter and resentful, flee to the altar and give it up to God. Recommit. Whatever God is leading you to do today, you come.